well, when me and John spoke a, about two weeks ago in regard to this Sunday, and, and I told him that, hey, so if we're being voted on as elders at Alpine, would love to, to at least to be able to, to share with you guys some things that are on my heart. And then he said, well, we're doing Colossians 3.16 in two weeks. Do you want to do that? And I said, not really. <laughs> I said, but I don't want to do it, but I need to do it. Um, and so the, don't make mistake that, don't mistake that for I'm not excited to share the word, but it's a heavy thing. And particularly this morning as the church is going through what it's going, like I, I feel both that gravity and gladness. And so I hope that we can um, bring both to light today. So we're going to continue the series that we've been over the past couple of weeks about one another. We're taking this season of church to look at the one another passages in the New Testament. And if there's a time to do it, now's the time as we are joining together. Um, and I've been so encouraged over the past few weeks. It's been um, awesome over this past year to see the Lord just direct our path and lead us here in a way that's been about seamless and perfect as you can get. So God is good and he has been faithful in this process. But before we get into this passage for today, I want to briefly share a little bit uh, about me and my background. And if you hear nothing else just about me, let, let this be true of me. I love the church. I love the church. I love serving the church. I turned 40 this past week, um, and I don't remember a time in my life to where I have not been intertwined and interconnected with the church. It's just been a part of my life. Uh, whenever I was a kid, probably six, seven, eight years old. Now, whenever I was a kid growing up at Liberty Church uh, in Alexandria, we didn't have these things, these screens with these projectors. We had uh, transparencies, the, those overhead projectors. And then for me, you know, whenever I was that age, I was the kid as we put the songs you know, on the projector, I was, I was standing in front of everybody the whole time doing the, doing the lyrics, but in a much different way than these guys do it. And so then I started playing uh, piano in church when I was like 12 years old, and I just never stopped. It's just always been a part of, of what I've done. Um, started leading worship in high school and in college. Um, I've been, you know, full-time staff, part-time staff, volunteer staff, all these things at churches, uh, I've served in pastoral ministry as an elder for um, the past 15 years. And so the church, I say all that to say the church has been an integral and central part of our family's life and our weekly rhythms. And Lord willing, that will be until we take our final breath, that we will be here because this is important. Right, guys? But in the midst of a lifetime of doing this, and so many of you, you have the same story. There have been some wonderful things that we've seen in the church and in the body. We've seen God do awesome things. But I know that looking around the room, we've also had our share of church hurts, right? All of us in this room that we have been hurt and we've probably inflicted hurt on others, sometimes unknowingly as well. So whenever we approach these one another passages like this, let us approach them with humility and with grace knowing that we do not have it all figured out. And the person beside you does not have it all figured out either. So let's do this. We're gonna read out of Colossians 
3 today. We're going to specifically look at verses 15 through 17. But if you were here last week, you may remember that that's where John ended. He ended in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. And those verses center on putting on the new self, what it looks like to look like Jesus and to live new lives in him. So verses 15 through 17, it continues this conversation, but it centers on some things that are so unique and so profound and so relevant to our gathering today and every time we meet that we need to spend some time here. Can you do this? Can you stand with me once more and let us read verses 12 through 17? We're gonna get a running start in verse 12 and then we'll talk about the last half of it. It says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray once more. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would pour upon us wisdom and understanding just as you teach us your word today, that our hearts and minds may be opened, that they may be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness and peace. So do a work in our midst. Help us to understand, and in understanding, help us to live out what you say. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So here in Colossians, Paul is describing this. He is describing what it looks like to live a gospel-fueled life as a community together, also doing that in the midst of a culture that does not profess Christ. So in Colossians, this is just a, a common theme that we see Paul say. But in verse 15, let's start there. And let's just kind of take it phrase by phrase, if we can. The first thing out the bat, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So what we have to establish, first off, is what is the peace of Christ? What is the peace of Christ? We know that peace can take a lot of different forms, right? We often think of peace as simply an absence of conflict, um, whether that's in our relationships or really between any different party or different countries or different nations that there is an absence of conflict. And while the peace of Christ can certainly be this, it's much, much more than that. So John shared two weeks ago in Ephesians 2, and I wanna go back there really quickly. And that speaks of this peace that comes from Christ. 
verse 14 through 17. Just hear these words. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So when I read a passage like this, what Paul is describing, it sounds less like just a passive lack of conflict, but this sounds more like a hands-on radical rescue, right? That's what I get when I read this, that the wall of hostility has been broken down and we've been reconciled to the Father through Christ. The peace of Christ is the wonderful reality that we are safe, that we are secure, and that we are kept in his love forever. That's the peace of Christ. So going back to our passage, so Paul says, let this peace that we just talked about, let this peace rule in your hearts. Let this govern and control your hearts. The Greek word for rule here is commonly used in reference to sporting events like the Olympics. It literally means to act as an umpire. To act as an umpire. So, and we have a lot of different opinions in this room about umpires, and I get it. But the umpire ultimately makes the call on the direction that this game is going to go. They keep order. They are the deciding factor, right? The deciding factor. Paul is saying to let the peace of Christ, the goodness of the gospel that is expressed in the loving rescue of Jesus, let that peace control who you are. Let that peace control what you do. And as this particular passage states, let it control how we interact and respond to one another in the church. So next, Paul says, to which indeed you were called in one body. Read that again. To which indeed you were called in one body. So this morning, if Christ is your peace, if you are his, and if you are a new creation, welcome. You are in the right place. You are exactly where you're supposed to be this morning, with the people of God, in fellowship together. I know this may go without saying, but we always have to say this because there seems to be such a disconnect for so many that you cannot separate Christ from his church, amen? You cannot separate Christ from his church. You cannot separate the bridegroom from the bride. A la carte is fine at a restaurant, but it is destructive to your spiritual being. It is destructive. We were never made for that. So let's go quickly to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, where Paul connects these things together. In verse 4, it says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You, church, you are called to Christ. 
And you are called to one another. You are called to the church. How blessed are you? How blessed am I? Praise God that we have been called by name into his family. May we never take that for granted. What a miracle that is. So in verse 15, the last phrase of this verse encourages us to be thankful. And we're gonna see this again a couple of minutes in verses 16 and 17, but if the, the peace of Christ rules and characterizes the community of God's people, thankfulness will well up within us. It's what comes out. It's what is the overflow of our lives when the peace of Christ controls us. It's thankfulness. Let's move on to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What a phrase. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So just as we asked in verse 15, we asked what is the peace of Christ, we have to ask this, what is the word of Christ? This more than likely means the teaching about Christ or also the actual words of Christ. So in a nutshell, the words of Christ is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. So Paul is saying here that to let the good news of the gospel dwell in you richly. This word dwell here, this could be translated a couple of different ways. It can be translated as tabernacle. It can be translated as to inhabit. It is when the good news of Jesus finds root in your life and the good news of Jesus finds root in my life. And as we study the word, as we meditate on the word, as we're doing this morning, and as we ultimately obey the word, we're transformed and we're changed. It's not something that we just visit when we get in a jam. It's not something that we visit infrequently, but that it is a daily, weekly rhythm of our lives. It is a daily liturgy of our lives. Hope that's not a bad word to say. Because liturgy, all that means is that this is our service, that this is, this is what we do, our public service. So with all of this, the word of Christ is what our lives are centered around. I love how Eugene Peterson says this. I, th I think this is gonna be on the screen. In the message paraphrase, he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. I love that. So when we look at scripture in all places, in the epistles and in Proverbs, we see a lot of things about self-control and moderation. There's lots of scriptures that speak to that, especially concerning like food and drink and, and not letting these things rule over us, right? So I need those scriptures desperately when I'm sitting in a Mexican restaurant in front of chips and salsa. I need this. I truly believe that the test of someone's self-control is that they can stop eating chips and salsa. And so, so this past week, uh, Stephen up in the balcony, he and I went to lunch. We went to Tierra in Alexandria, um, and we went and ordered our food, and we're sitting there, you know, waiting for our food to come out. We've got chips and salsa in front of us, and, and I'm just talking, and we're talking, and, and Stephen stops about halfway through. He just stops eating the chips. And then me 
um, about five minutes later, I find myself unknowingly scraping the bottom of the basket for any crumbs and salt that might still be there. So I failed this self-control test miserably. But when it comes to the word of Christ, good news, all bets are off. No self-control needed. It's not necessary. We are encouraged to partake in abundance. And Paul makes other statements like this in Ephesians 5, 18, where he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So in, instead of letting this control you, let this control you. Let the gospel have its glorious and gracious way in your life. Let your life be so saturated with the words of God that it is not just a treasure to you, but those around you treasure the word of God because you treasure it. And it just comes out onto them. Like what a grand vision for the Christian life and for the church. And so you may ask, how does this look? How does the treasuring of the words of God overflow onto other people? And this is what I'm excited about. Look what Paul says next. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So if we ask what the overflow looks like, church, this is the overflow right here. The people of God singing to God, and while doing so, we are proclaiming the gospel to one another. And different translations may give a little different ways of saying this. The ESV says it in the way that we wrote it, and there are other translations like the New American Standard and very closely the New King James that say, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. So one thing that we don't wanna do ever in scriptures, we don't want to read something into scripture that scripture doesn't say, right? We'd, we want to be accurate and careful with scripture, but if you get a chance this week, study this passage deeper, and you will see that this is exactly what it means, exactly what it means, that we teach and admonish one another through our singing. This is, frankly, amazing, and something that we I know don't talk about enough, that we don't think about enough, but it's something that happens every gathering. And so in corporate worship, we know that there's always a vertical aspect to this, right? That we are singing to God. And we see here at the end of 16, if you'll look where it says that we are to sing with thankfulness in our hearts, what? To God. And we sing to God because of what he has revealed about himself, of who he is. I've said this many times in Wardville, but I'll, I'll say this again, but that biblical worship is this pattern of revelation and response, of revelation and response, that God reveals his presence and his purposes to his people, and we are to respond in worship. We respond in adoration, in awe of who he is and what he's done. And this pattern happens over and over and over again, and it will continue to eternity. And we see uh, in chapter four in Revelation, and this won't be on the screen, but this is just uh, 
picture where the four living creatures worship Jesus and it says day and night, day and night, ceaselessly they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this song will never end because we will never find an end to an infinite God of who he is. There is always more that we will come to know and praise him for and then this process will start all over again. So that's the vertical aspect of worship, but sometimes something that we neglect is the horizontal aspect of worship. That when we gather and we sing songs like we sang this morning, when we sing his mercy is more, or Christ our hope in life and death, or the solid rock, or it is well with my soul, these are not throwaway songs, guys. These are not fluff songs that sing half-truths. But no, these are rich songs that shout and proclaim to a lost and dying world that Jesus is alive and he is the only hope for salvation. Like these songs, we must sing songs like this. Our souls require it. We need it. And here's what we do in this very building when we sing these songs together, that we are taught the word in a unique way. So right along with praise, instruction is taking place. And it's not just me teaching you. It's not John teaching you. It's not Zach teaching you. No, but it's Doug teaching Guy. It's Cliff teaching Jared. It's Kristen teaching Jody or Stephen teaching me. We are all teaching one another through our songs and through our voices. So when we sing what we sang this morning, our sins are many. His mercy is more. We are singing this song alongside a room of sinners who have forgotten this glorious truth in the midst of a hard week for a lot of us. We have forgotten this. I think it was James K.A. Smith who talks about this, and I don't remember the exact uh, quote, but he talks about us being in danger of spiritual amnesia and that how desperately we need to meet back together as much as possible lest we forget his goodness to us. Because if you're like me, I forget. And I forget often. And I need that. So this is part of what we are called to do every week in worship. We tell God's story. We tell God's story. We remember and proclaim the mighty acts of God in Christ. And we reorient our minds and our lives for his glory and rinse and repeat. We do it over and over again because it is a grace of the Lord that sustains us in the midst of a difficult life. So the other word found here in verse 16, so there's teaching and also it says admonish. What do we do with that? <laughs> um, admonish you know, has a negative connotation, right? When we look at the Greek for this word admonish, it can be translated as to put in mind or to warn. And, and that's the way that my mind thinks of it, that we are warning one another through song. That's a sobering thought, that we would warn one another as we sing together. Why do you warn somebody? Just in general, why do you warn somebody? You warn them to keep them from harm. You warn them so that they wouldn't fall away hear this this morning. Your presence here 
And I'm not talking about our corporate voice, I'm talking about your individual voice. Your individual presence and your individual voice may be the very thing that God uses to convict someone's heart and draw them back to himself. That's how important it is that we join with one another. The Holy Spirit is working and moving in a thousand ways. I think it's John Piper that said this, in a thousand ways, and we're only aware of two in our life. Like, the Lord is here, guys. The presence of God is with his people. So let me point us real quick back to Ephesians 5, where we were. We read verse 18 earlier, but let's read verses 18 and 19 together. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So this is very similar to Colossians 3.16, right? But yet it communicates something so important, that singing is an overflow or an outworking of the Holy Spirit's filling of believers, Like if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the people of God will sing. Tony Morita, there was a quote that I read this week. He says this, and I think it's on the screen. It says, we are a singing people because God is too great to be merely talked about. We are not just to think of his grace and speak of it. We are to feel it and rejoice in it. We are to feel it and rejoice in it. One thing that I do want to acknowledge is that looking here, and some of you I do know and some of you I don't know, but I know that we have a lot of introverts in this room. A lot of introverts. I mean, I'm not going to point anybody out, but you know who you are. So I see you this morning, and I hear you, but I think about my own life. I'm with you. I am an an introvert who has been thrust into every extroverted activity that you could possibly have of leading worship and speaking and preaching and I sell insurance for a living, all of these things. Like this is the introvert's nightmare right here. (laughs) They don't click with my natural personality, but let me challenge you introverts in this that if we are spirit-filled believers in Christ who have been saved from an eternity in hell and we've been called together as one body for the purpose of worshiping Jesus and encouraging one another, that glorious truth infinitely supersedes our personalities. It supersedes our song preferences, our comfort zones, and anything else that we could think of. It boils down to this, that he is worthy and we are thankful. He is worthy and we are thankful. One more quick note on verse 16, and we're going to move on. So psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does this mean? Uh, what does this exactly mean? What kind of songs are we supposed to sing when we're together in church? So out of these categories, these three psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, there's only one category that commentators and scholars can all agree on. And that's the first category, the psalms. This is speaking of the psalms in the Old Testament, uh, all 150 of them, that we're called to sing the word. I remember growing up in church, um, and while we did not 
I didn't know any hymns until I was in college. And so they were all very new and fresh to me in college. But growing up, we sang a lot of these old scripture songs from the 70s and 80s, the, the Maranatha integrity stuff and um, songs like in Psalm 91. Uh, let's see. Uh, he who dwelleth in the secret place of the most high. Kind of had a reggae beat to it, you know. Shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Anybody know that at all? Probably no one in this room. But that's what we sang growing up. One that you may know is Psalm 118, 24. This is the day. This is the day. There we go. You're singing now. Okay. Yeah. But like those songs growing up, those scripture songs, they have been firmly cemented in my mind for life. There is something about the wonder and the gift of music that when, it is, when these lyrics are set to melody, we remember. Like we remember. That's one of the reasons why singing the glorious truths that we sang already this morning is so important. We're gonna remember lyrics. Like we're gonna remember this verse that we sang in light of praying for Miss Stephanie is Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Like, you're gonna remember that long past you remember anything that I said this morning. And that's just reality, right? And you're off the hook. It's okay if you don't remember most of what I said. We know how this works. But let's take advantage of that in regard to singing and putting those words deep down within us. This is a gift of God. So the second category, hymns, could be other songs appraised used around that time. And spiritual songs, could, this could have been the repurposing of secular songs and changing the lyrics back then. It could be spontaneous songs. It could be a number of things. There's, there's not a clear consensus on these two categories, what they were, but I think for our purposes, we could approach it like this. So for us, hymns could be the old songs of the faith that some of which we sang this morning that we know that we, we love and that we sing out. They're songs that bring us together and that when we sing them, all of a sudden like the, the volume in the room just elevates, it amps up because everybody's singing because these songs have deep root within us and we know them. We love to sing these songs together. And spiritual songs, that, that can be a couple of things. Um, it can be a spontaneous expression of praise that comes out, or it can just be a new song that we learn and sing together. So one thing I think about in my life of serving in worship ministry and music, one thing that has rang true in all different seasons of ministry is there have been certain songs in certain seasons of our church that, have, that we've needed to sing, that they have, they have helped us put handles around the truth that we're coming to know about God, and that those were, I would say, anointed and special for that season in the church. And so we're gonna experience all three of these categories as we move forward here in the church. And one thing also, we're all gonna have different preferences, and that is okay. And so as we move forward, all of us, let us express gentleness and grace and mercy to all of us as we, as we come together um, and do, uh, as we do and tell the story of God together through all different types of songs. 
So let's do this. Let's close our time in verse 17. It's gonna say a brief comment on that and we'll be done. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as I read this, it's hard not to think of 1 Corinthians 10, right, where Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. These are two different contexts, but the same message is given in both passages to let the entirety of your life, who you are, what you do, what you say, be about one singular purpose, bringing glory to Christ. Like our lives are meant to glorify Jesus. There's no compartmentalizing of secular and sacred. There's no that we do this on Sunday and we do this on Monday and we do this on Tuesday or this on Wednesday. But no, the, the gospel applied to your life and the spirit of God who lives within you empowers you to live abundant, overflowing lives of gratitude. So as we close, I pray that as we've looked at this passage today, I, I hope that you have not felt a burden put on you but I hope that you have felt the great love that your father has for you, this great love that he has for this body of believers and the irreplaceable role that we all play in one another's lives. God has put us together to stir one another's affections toward him and ultimately that we will walk arm in arm looking to that day where we shall see him in all his fullness. And that day is coming sooner than we think. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for the gift of the body. We thank you for the gift of song. We thank you for the gift of the gospel. Lord, I pray that in all of us this week that, that you would do a work by your spirit in our lives, overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude. Lord, let the overflow of our lives be all that is of you. Lord, we confess to you that when we look at our lives and what we say and what we do, Lord, the, the overflow many times are things that we do not want there, but that we know that you are good and gracious so, Lord, we pray that you would transform us, do a work within us. Um, Lord, may we be grateful people who desire with everything that we are to live lives of wholehearted worship. We know that we do not live our lives perfectly, but we thank you that there is one who already did. That was King Jesus. And so this morning, we cling to you. We cling to your finished work, Lord, and we just are so thankful. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.